Hi there, and thanks for joining us. On this week's podcast, we talk about bees, bears and baboons, how a new core company plans on turning tap water into a renewable form of energy, and advice to SMEs as lockdown ends and the bills are called in. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, my first guest has been on the podcast before, but her company has gone on to busier and better things. That was a really bad pun that didn't quite work, but I'm going to leave it there. Fiona Edwards-Murphy, CEO of Apis Protect. How are you? I'm great, Jonathan. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It's definitely not the worst bee pun. (laughs) Yeah, we buzz bees. I was trying my best. Didn't quite work. Come here. You have been on one hell of a journey since we last spoke. Tell us what's happening with Apis Protect right now. Oh, yeah, it's been such a, a crazy journey for the last four years. But um, what we're at at the moment is we've actually launched two products now in the last, I'd say, um, you know, six ish months. Uh, we've launched our commercial technology, which is available for large scale beekeepers in the US, um, which is very exciting. And also we've launched our hobbyist technology here in, in Ireland. Um, so that's been since uh, January or February this year. I can't remember the exact launch date, uh, but pretty much we're, we're taking on pre-orders for our technology now in Ireland um, from hobbyist beekeepers and we're really excited. Uh, those will all be rolling out uh, slightly later in the summer. So the, the thing about that is you're getting so much more data, aren't you? Um, that, that you're getting more information about what's happening in bee colonies. Because to explain to people who mightn't be familiar, you put very clever technology in the beehive that tells the bee tells the beekeeper what the bees are doing if they're feeling unwell if they're having a great old time uh, and and identify issues before they come through the more data you're getting fiona is this project getting more exciting for you yeah definitely so yeah exactly that's a really good summary of what we do we've got a sensor technology it's a little a box that goes inside the beehive and we collect a variety of different data points, things like temperature, sound and stuff like that from inside the hive. Then we process that data and we actually tell the beekeeper back, you know, useful information um, like which hives are behaving differently to other beehives. So which hives, um, so basically the ones that are behaving differently are the ones that you want to inspect. If you're going to go out and open one of your beehives, you should open the different one, not the the one that's behaving the same as all the other beehives. We also do really interesting things like um, if the beehive is knocked over or damaged or even opened by a thief, um, we can immediately alert the beekeeper with a text. So that, that's all been really exciting. And um, uh, the, the beekeepers, I think, are, are very excited to, to see some of those features in action. I remember when I first spoke to you, what struck me was, this is great. Uh, we need to find out what's happening to the bees because there was a huge amount of concern about bees dying at the time. But like this has not only helped you identify those issues, but there are massive commercial applications for this as well. And your company which started out with a few humble beehives in Cork, has gone global. Yeah, exactly. No, we're really excited to announce we're now, uh, we've now monitored over 100 million honeybees across the globe. Um, so that's, you know, that's a really nice <laughs> little milestone to, to achieve for ourselves. Um, so yeah, we've monitored hives everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but um, in a lot of different and, different and interesting places uh, all over the US, um, obviously, because we've got a technology launched over here and here and over there. Uh, and here in Ireland 
and in the UK and in South Africa. So that was another really interesting place to, to monitor honeybees. And one of the most interesting things I think about, you know, having seen this beekeeping in so many different parts of the world is the different problems that beekeepers face. I mean, like um, comparing um, the guys in the US who are worried about bears <laughs> to here in Ireland where, <laughs> you know, you're worried about the weather and maybe the dampness as we've seen in the summer so far, it's been very damp. And then in South Africa, you're worried about like rhinos and baboons. <laughs> Uh, so it's been really interesting. Yeah, well, I have to say, we don't have the issues with the baboons uh, and the bears here. We do have a problem with the weather, actually. Did that come through? I mean, we've had a pretty crappy May. Uh, were you seeing the effects of that on the health of the beehives that you're monitoring? Yeah, we have. Um, not necessarily, I guess, on, on the health, but certainly on the activity. Um, so the the bees are, as long as they're well fed, they're kind of happy to stay inside. Um, but they won't be producing an awful lot of honey when it's very wet. They're less likely to fly. So actually, we, we've been analyzing um, this summer so far compared to last year and compared to years, um, uh, you know, I, I, more so than last year, like the last, I think, four years on average. And yeah, we saw, especially here in Cork, um, our what we call our flying hours, which is the amount of time the bees spent outside the beehive flying around, collecting nectar, providing pollination. So that allows them to make honey and make food for us. Um, that Those hours are way down for um, for April uh, this year. Um, so yeah. I guess that's Understandably, not too much of a surprise. Yeah, if I was a bee, I wouldn't be going out either, given the, how terrible the weather is. So here's hoping that June is going to be better. Um, yeah. The commercial application we talked about, so the commercial beekeepers, big thing in the States, not not as much over here, but the hobbyist I'm really interested in. Um, has there been a growth in beekeeping? And, and pandemic, people developed all sorts of weird hobbies during the pandemic. Have you seen a little bit of that creeping in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people and myself included, I mean, like I was never a big gardener before COVID-19 and I've gotten really into gardening. I mean, like I was already into beekeeping. I think a lot of people have taken on hobbies. They've been looking for hobbies that kind of take them back to nature or take them away from technology. You know, these days we spend so much time, especially anybody working from home, your entire life now is around screens. Um, you're on Zoom calls, you're working, um, everyone you interact with is through a computer. Um, so people are kind of looking for hobbies that take them away, away from computers and away from technology. And that's certainly what, what beekeeping is. And I know what we're doing <laughs> is bringing a technology to beekeeping, but we do try to integrate it as well as possible into the beekeeping experience. Like um, one thing that we always like to say is our technology isn't trying to stop you beekeeping or reduce the amount of beekeeping that you do. What we're trying to do is target you at the beehive that actually needs your expertise. Okay. Um, the technology is, is one thing that's probably evolving as well. Like 5G is happening. Uh, maybe not everywhere where there is a bee population that you're monitoring, but that means that there's probably more 4G available and definitely 3G as opposed to dodgy old 2G uh, that you would have been working with before. Does that enable you to do more? And, and where does that go? I mean, if you have 5G technology at your disposal, you're going to be able to do all sorts of things, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been really exciting again, you know, spending four years working in IoT um, with one product, you see how fast this technology is changing and how fast the whole sector is changing. Um, we don't use 5G right now. It's a little bit like that. It's a little bit too new for us. The overlap between places where 5G exists and where beehives exist is just too different right now. Uh, what we do use is a technology called um, narrowband IoT here in Ireland. And what that is, is kind of it's, it's kind of 4G 
plus it's a special edition of 4g designed specifically for iot devices and what that means is it's um it's able to uh, collect data using an awful lot less power using an awful lot less um bandwidth and stuff like that so basically it's kind of uh, because the kind of numbers that we're extracting from beehives are really straightforward things like what is the temperature of the beehive that's a much less much less complicated piece of information than trying to transmit a, a phone call or an image or a whatsapp message uh, we're able to use that way lower power network that can mean our devices will work in more rural locations and they'll also okay. work um last way longer on a battery as well uh, fiona it, it's funny that we've all put down the last 12 14 months the bees didn't care obviously enough but probably it affected you because you couldn't go and visit clients if you're trying to expand in other countries to to deal with the bear issue uh in <laughs> in america or, or the uh, baboon issue in south africa you were all remote you were working off zoom calls did it impact you um yeah it definitely impacted us well to start with i was really happy with how effectively our our team our our our, our whole team here in ireland moved from working in the office to working remotely i mean we had a lot of the the technologies because there was always some of us in the us we were using things like video calls and uh, messaging services to communicate with each other but we'd never had everyone in ireland working remotely at the same time and that transition was really seamless which was fantastic uh but certainly Getting over to our customers in the US was our, our biggest challenge because, you know, that just literally was not an option. You're dealing with beekeepers, they're farmers, you know, they were not particularly interested in or they're not particularly experienced with um, video calls and, you know, talking to people on the other side of the globe um, using a computer. Um, so that was a, an interesting <laughs> couple of months where we were trying to, to keep all of our relationships going using those kind of technologies. And what we ended up doing was actually um, hiring a, a, a VP of sales based in the market. So based right there in, in South Dakota, in the middle of um, where some huge beekeepers are based or a huge number of the large beekeepers in the US are based. So um, I guess what COVID did for us was it really accelerated our plans around establishing our, our team in the US, which is fantastic. And also entering um, the, the Irish market and the hobbyist market that wasn't on our original plan for, for 2021, but pretty quickly it got added. Look, here's the beekeepers who we can probably interact with sooner than the American beekeepers. So let's go get our technology out to them. Well, it's a fantastic success story and continues to grow. Uh, Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy, CEO of Apis Protect, looking forward to the next update, whatever it may come. But for now, Fiona, thanks so much for joining us on Red Business. Excellent. Thanks, Jonathan. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. I get a feeling over the next little while we're going to be talking a lot about green energy and how we decarbonize society. My next guest is with a company that is doing just that. He's the CEO of a brand new venture called EIH2. Tom Lynch, how are you? Very, very good, Jonathan. It's uh, been a busy uh, week uh, and uh, keeping very well today. Thank you. Uh, it has been a busy week for you guys because you've announced a 120 million euro green hydrogen facility for Ahada in East Cork. I understand Ahada, I understand 120 million, uh, and I think I'm not alone in not fully understanding what green hydrogen is and how you make it. You might talk us through the process. Green hydrogen is essentially hydrogen that's produced from excess offshore wind. The way we produce it is an, an electrolysis plant. It converts and breaks down water, plain municipal water, into its component parts of oxygen and hydrogen. So in other words, what you're doing is you're taking electricity that's generated out at sea or on land from a renewable form and you're just passing it through the water, dividing it into hydrogen and oxygen and using that hydrogen to do something. What's the hydrogen used for? 
Okay, that's an interesting question. There are a number of things can be done with hydrogen. It can be used for transport. It can be used for re-electrification to put it back into the grid when the grid doesn't have enough energy. In our case, the primary use in the hot area is going to be for uh, injection into the gas lines. So industries in the area who currently use gas will be able to decarbonize by having a blend of hydrogen with their gas. So what does the hydrogen do to natural gas? I mean, the one thing I'd always be conscious of is natural gas is a, is a wonderfully safe thing, but you can't really do anything with it. And if it escapes, it's a problem. So how can you add hydrogen safely to the natural gas supply? Yeah. So the first thing to remember is that natural gas, of course, has a lot of carbon in it. So when you burn it, you emit a lot of carbon dioxide. The green hydrogen, which we're producing from renewable energy, has no associated carbon. Now, hydrogen burns uh, much like natural gas. It can burn in boilers and uh, power turbines and many other uses. It's got similar characteristics to gas, not exactly similar, but it's very easy to blend it up to about 20 to 30 percent with natural gas and the user doesn't realize any difference so in other words what you're doing is you, you you are putting it into a system that's already quite carbon heavy but by adding it you're reducing the amount of carbon produced not getting rid of it but reducing it down that's absolutely correct yeah um what's this plant going to look like because we don't have many hydrogen plants like this in the world well, it, it, the, the plant size for this, for this plant is a 50 megawatt plant. It, it will be actually one of the biggest hydrogen plants uh, in the world when it comes online. However, it still sits on a pretty small footprint area. It will occupy something around uh, three acres or even less. Um, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's actually smaller than most people would envisage. And if you were to go into the internals of it, it will be within a building, a building perhaps five meters high. Um, which looks like uh, any other type of a commercial building, a bakery or a food production uh, company. And if you were to go into the building, you will find very much what you would expect to find in in a dairy. A lot of pipe work, a lot of uh, process equipment, meters, gauges, and some storage uh, uh, vessels. Mm. I'd imagine it's important to store this hydrogen because it's it's not injected out straight away because there's presumably some processes. So will the hydrogen be stored on site? And what does that mean in terms of safety? Because, again, it's a new technology and people will ask the question. Well, in, in a lot of the very of the use cases, a lot of the applications for hydrogen, you would you would indeed store the energy, store the hydrogen. In our case, because most of the demand is going to be literally on our doorstep, there will be very little, if any, storage uh, facilities there. It will be injected as it's produced into the uh, gas pipelines. Are we going to see a lot more of this, Tom, um, as we begin this decarbonisation process? This this green energy journey um, that you and other companies are on uh, w- with more wind produced, more solar, um, the kind of stuff that you you, ca- you don't have control of turning it on or off, but can go a large way towards making everything we do more sustainable. There's currently a huge race to hydrogen around the world. It's being seen as the, uh, if not the holy grail, it will be part of the holy grail that enables uh, countries to undergo the energy transition from a carbon-heavy power generation and transport and agricultural uh, and fertilizer, indeed, um, economy to a carbon-free economy. So developers all over the world are looking at at, at putting renewable green hydrogen plants um, into most of the countries in the world. Europe, indeed, at the moment, you have about 16 electrolysis projects under uh, 
have commenced are, are underway. And in Ireland, I've no doubt that over the next uh, five to eight years, you're going to find quite a number of hydrogen electrolysis plants being uh, coming online. So we've got 85 new jobs with this. When do you think it might be operational? Because obviously you have the planning process to go through as well. Yeah, we're hoping to come online and start producing Ireland's first green hydrogen in the later part of 2023, perhaps the early part of 2024. Okay, well, we wish you and everyone the best of luck with it. Very simple tools, a little bit of wind energy and some water uh, and you're away in a hack. But uh, it'll be interesting to see this technology, how it works and how it rolls out uh, as we really go down this decarbonisation road. But for now, Tom Lynch, CEO of EIH2. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. Coming out of the pandemic means different things for different companies. Many have traded through and are even more robust on the far side. Others, particularly in the SME sector, have been really badly affected. My next guest is a chartered accountant uh, who focuses on restructuring and, in worst case scenario, insolvency. David Swinburne, how are you? Hi, good morning, Jonathan. Good, and yourself? I'm very well, thank you. David, um, businesses have had a Torridale time, particularly in the SME sector. And as everybody is in the clamour to get back out there and trading again, you know, there are those still struggling and they're the ones we want to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. And it is great that the economy is starting to open up because it has been in hibernation for so long. But yes, you're absolutely right. There'll be new challenges when the economy does open up for everyone. So what kind of companies are you dealing with? What are the common themes that are emerging? Yeah, so I suppose over the last year, um, I suppose the importance of cash and cash being king um, has come to the fore again. And in the last year too, I suppose a lot of companies have been surviving in a very sort of false economy in the sense that they have the government support to put in place. Um, you have the revenue warehousing of debt. You have the payment breaks from financial institutions. And in a lot of cases, businesses haven't been trading. So therefore, there wasn't a need from external parties to come looking for cash. But um, as the economy opens up now, that's going to change because when uh, things start trading again, people will need cash to, to pay their suppliers and particularly their historic debt. So I've been very much looking and working with companies at their future projections and around their cash and the draws on that cash. And particularly the debt that has been built up over the last 14 months, even for companies that mm. haven't been trading, they still have contractual entitlements that have been building up and accruing. So it's working with them as to how they might actually go about dealing with that debt. There has been an incredible amount of forbearance in the last 14, 15 months because of the nature of the situation we found ourselves in. Would I be right in saying that that's about to run out uh, and, and that when people start to see a bit of road opening up in front of them, all of a sudden the sympathy that might have been there before won't be as plentiful? That's exactly it, Jonathan, because, you know, everybody uh, will be under pressure to pay creditors and get cash. So you're absolutely right. You know, and even if you take a, a, as an example, maybe a landlord, you know, would have been sympathetic to um, its tenant over the last 12 months. Um, but as the tenant opens up, the landlord will be like, oh, they're trading again. Therefore, they should have some money for me. They may very well have money for him, but they may not have all the money um, that he wants in terms of the arrears that have been built over the last 12 months. And that will also be the case for other creditors, like your normal trade creditors. Then you will have your revenue creditors. So you know, it, they'll all come looking potentially at the same time. And your cash pool will be limited because as, as a business, you're trying to get back trading again. You need some funding for working capital. And then how you operate will have changed. So you'll have to adjust for that as well. So, you know, it could be very much a perfect storm as the economy does open up. 
But that's not to mean you should become an ostrich and stick your head in the sand, is it? Um, the options that are there, some of them might be unpalatable, some of them might be quite reasonable, but uh, if you don't think about it, you're not going to reach any of them. And that's exactly it. And I suppose the key thing that I've been saying to the clients I've been working with over the last 12 months is don't bury your head in the sand. You have to communicate with all your stakeholders, your employees, with the revenue, with your suppliers, your creditors, your landlords, your funders. You have to actually tell them what's going on because at the end of the day, it's all about the trusting relationship they have with you. So you cannot bury your head in the sand. Now, as time goes on, the informal arrangements you will have had with them over the past 12 months will have worked. But going forward, that may not be the case. And when they all come clamoring at the same time, it's like you could become overwhelmed and the business, the company itself, would become vulnerable um, to to potentially one or or other of those creditors taking some action, potentially. Okay. Um, The the government has been trying to do something around this because they know it's coming uh, and they have produced the rather snappily titled Small Company Administrative Rescue Process and Miscellaneous Provisions Bill uh, which was published on the 19th of May last. Um, obviously it's a bill at the moment, it needs to become uh, an act before people can benefit from it but is there stuff contained therein that people can look forward to enjoying? Yes, it's the short answer, Jonathan. And, you know, this has been in, 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 in place to get to get to the stage of that for the last 12 months. And, you know, I think the timing of this introduction will be very important. Um, what we believe is that, you know, it will be in place in, in legislation by the time the government recess comes. Um, and that will be important because as time goes on, like supports will have to be weaned off. And it's only when supports are actually weaned off and the inflow of cash into a, a business is not there from... Uh, a state uh, level is that they're really going to feel this so yes um, while it's a bit of a mouthful of a process yes i think it is something that will be um an option for for viable smes now for the last 30 years we have had the examinership process in this country and um, i'm a big fan of that process and um, but i suppose a common theme of why that hasn't been um used as much is that the cost of going into the process can be prohibitive um because it involves making an application to court um, so under this particular SCARP process, as it's called, you don't have to make an application to court for what's called protection. Um, and that that will be sort of a, a big plus in this. Um, now, in the process, the court will be there if you need it. Um, but at the outset, it's not. So you can go into this process without making an application to court. So therefore, you don't need the company itself doesn't need to have its own lawyers and barristers. And likewise, um, an, an examiner in an examinership doesn't have to have his. So from that perspective, yes, it is it is an option. And it's an option, it, it's, it's geared towards micro and small companies um, that have the prospect of become financially viable. As historically, the examinership process might have been used by bigger companies. So it's very much focused at the backbone of the Irish economy, which is small and micro enterprises. Okay, um, just to finish up, if we can, what's the most important thing you need to tell SMEs right now if they're in any way worried? They're anyway worried they need to start now planning for what the future is going to look like, doing their projections, more importantly, what is their cash flow going to look like? Because a business can make profits many times over or losses many times over, but can only run out of cash once. So Verme needs to look at that, look at its cash position and look at its debt position. And going forward, doing a scenario analysis, will it be able to generate enough money to pay the historic debt it has now? And, you know, that can be quite difficult to do because in businesses and very often they're family businesses and they're very much emotionally involved. So they need to get somebody external in who call it and tell them what they need to hear as opposed to what they might like to hear. So they need to get um, planning now and get advice now and therefore at least they'll have options 
as to what to do go forward when all the creditors come knocking at the same mm. time. Yeah, don't don't be surprised if you know it's coming and uh, definitely get the advice that is out there from the likes of yourself. David Swinburne, Chartered Accountant and Advisory Partner at Fitzgerald Legal and Advisory. Thanks so much for talking to us at Red Business, David. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Take care. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget, every episode of Red Business is available right now from redextra.ie. May Fian was the producer, and we will catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.